Thank y'all for coming in, tuning in to the West 15 podcast. Tonight is a special. We're going to do a ghost story again. And this one is called The uh, Legend of uh, Samuel. Now, I want y'all to notice about the way Cheese and the way the West 15 podcast, the way we tell stories. It's not like traditional storytellers. I mean, I'm my own unique way and I'm a, you know tell you a story and tell off the podcast the same way I would tell it back in the hood, back in the West 15. And so, you know, that's what you go get, you know, I'm not going to do all that other stuff, you know, so you'll just have to listen tight, follow me and uh, I'm going to interact with y'all as if I was just, you know, looking at y'all in the audience. I know y'all out there and I know if y'all, you know, pay close attention y'all definitely get the story and i hope y'all be uh entertained by it now to give y'all a little background on how i obtained the story parts of the story are true and some parts are fictitious i'm not gonna tell you which parts are or not but i could tell you about 60 percent of the story is true and about 40 percent is fictitious now, a lot of the story, I did get a lot of parts of it from my mother. Like I told y'all earlier in the validation uh, series that my mother was a storyteller. So, you know, even though she just told, told stories to her kids and her grandkids, but still, I mean, she told me a lot of stories. So I said over this podcast, I'm going to definitely use some of her stories and uh, The Legend of Samuel have a lot of parts of a story she had told me about. Now, the story started like in February the 20th, 1966. And it started in uh, Texarkana. And it was, a, it was a real cold, cold morning on February the 20th in uh, 66. And uh, y'all got to remember that date. February the 20th, I mean, that's a very, very special date. You know what I mean? Not special, but that's a very horrific date. You know, even in Texarkana history, you know, February the 20th. But anyway, it was February the 20th, 1966. Y'all got to think, you know what I mean? It was like, what, three years after Kennedy was assassinated. You know, I guess America was still in black and white. America had lost its innocence. And, you know, things had really started to happen because, you know, it was the 60s, man. And, I mean, that was a very vivid time in America. And, I mean, it's, it's like everything was hor horrific back in the 60s, man. And it was some patrol cars dispatched all through the city of Texarkana, man. And they say all you could hear was ho ho I mean, horns and sirens as the police, you know, I mean, swept up and down the roadways, up and down the roadways. And then you could hear ambulances and coroner vans and everything was just coming out as some of the eyewitnesses, you know, would later testify in the, Tex in the Texarkana Gazette about that fateful day, February the 20th, 1966. And, um... Uh, it was said that within about 10 minutes, the whole city 
of Texarkana, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas had embarked on the railroad track near Robinson Road. And they said that the sight that they seen out there was so horrific that you had people in the crowd vomiting. You had a man named Thomas Green. They say he passed out from just the smell that was going on out there. You had other eyewitnesses. You had a lady by the name of Susan O'Neill. And she was seven years old at the time. And she said her mother had covered her eyes and then started digging in her eyes because her mother had a seizure right out there near the railroad tracks where the bodies were discovered. Now, this was after people had started coming. Now, the police, they say, had uh, it took it took a little while because remind y'all, this was 1966. So it wasn't a lot of police officers on the force. And then it took them a while to, you know, get together and uh, gain control of the crowd. And even though it was cold out there, people were steady coming. It's like people was coming to the uh, crime scene. It's because it's like they was just drawn to it like a magnet. Because it's like, you know, I guess it was some about the word of mouth. And someone was talking about how horrific this crime scene was. And so it's just like all the town folks, man, they just start glued together like they were zombies or something and then they just all started walking i mean riding they they uh bikes and then even people on the bus they say it was bus drivers that would pull over with with the, with whole shifts of people that skip work you know they said that uh the whole city of texacana texas and texacana arkansas shut down that day literally the whole city shut down only thing I could think of for us is probably 9-11. They said no one went to work. Everyone school was let out. And there were six bodies. They said it was six bodies burnt to a crisp. Burnt to like a crispy piece of bacon. Right there off of Robinson Road on the railroad tracks. Now, it was an older couple, uh, Bobby and Lois Regal, which Bobby was uh, 62 at the time, and Lois Regal was uh, 60 at the time. And they were going through their uh, normal walk and jog right up a Robinson Road, and they had crossed the tracks when they looked down and they saw the smoke and they saw the fire. At first, they thought it was just some burning trash. But Bobby walked on down the tracks a little bit and did an investigation, and Bobby realized that it was, it was something more than trash. It was some bodies. And then also the stench and the smell of the cooking uh, flesh had started to, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, has started to take over him. So they went back and the authorities was dispatched and then they came out and then that's how word got around town that, you know, they had found the six bodies just cooked on the railroad track. Now, there's one interesting fact about where the bodies were discovered because where the bodies were discovered right off of Robertson Road was exactly where the first killings happened by the Phantom.
the Phantom Killer in 1946, which they called the Moonlight Killings. So, keep that in mind. Now, thanks to y'all participation, this is a break because we do have sponsors now with the Tales of the West 15 podcast due to y'all uh, support. So I'll be right back after the break. How y'all doing? I'm back. This is volume one, The Legend of Sam Samuel. Now, when we left off, we were just talking about the bodies and who discovered them, which it was uh, Bobby and uh, Lois Regal. And they discovered the bodies those that morning, and they called authorities. And uh, at this time, it has gotten later in the evening, around 6 or 7. Authorities have gotten the bodies up. The bodies have been taken to the coroner at this time. But you still have people out there. You still have officers. You still have the tape out there. I mean, the city is still in a shock. It's almost, you know, it's almost like the city, the city is stunned. It's like just like the way that those uh, six bodies were uh, melted to that uh, railroad track. It's the way the people of Texarkana, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas was melted to that crime scene. It got even bigger. I mean, some of the surrounding cities, even Atlanta and Hooks and, you know, even some of the places in Arkansas, like Hope and Ashdown, people start to come in, you know, just to take a look at the horrific scene and to almost just get the smell because word had already went out on the wire of this uh, horrific event. That had taken place on uh, February the 20th, 1966 in Texarkana, Texas. Now, it was uh, two sanitation workers that uh, had some reports of uh, spotting someone near the railroad tracks earlier that morning. The sanitation workers, one of them named was... uh, Tom Briscoe, and the other one was named um, Daniel Barrentine. They were both uh, working on the back of the truck when they said they saw some big seven-foot tall man toting something, you know, that could have been a body, you know. And um, they described him being over seven-foot and uh, they gave a name of who they thought it was. And authorities know all too well who they were talking about. And uh, rumor had already went out that he had to be involved. Because this is where the story and the legend of big nasty Sam Bennett comes in. Now, the one thing that makes Sam so important and makes him so uh, much of a suspect in this slaying is he is known to only walk the railroads. And it's said that uh, legend has it that Sam 
has killed people before and that um, he had a special railroad that he would had that he had built with some of the spirits of the people that he had killed. Now we're gonna go deeper into that once we go deeper into the story. But okay, so let's go into it. The thought is, and they knew all too well about the seven foot man that the you know sanitation worker said that they had seen that morning, and you know his name was uh, Sam Bennett. But the police never seen him. They don't have a mug shot of him, and then also is no public record of his birth or anything. You know, due to the way his parents live. Because Sam was born out of incest. And Sam was born in Falk, deep in the woods. Now, it is known that Sam's father is a serial killer. And he committed incest. And he impregnated all of his uh, children. And that he also would have his uh, sons castrated. So he would be the only one producing children out there. Now let's, you know, fast forward. Let's go back three months earlier. And this is what happened when uh, Big George, which is Sam Bennett's father. This is what happened at the police station when they got Big George. So now the story is going three months earlier. So instead of being February the 20th, 1966, we're going back to 1965, and we're going back to the end of November, around Thanksgiving of 1965, and Big George was picked up by authorities in Miller County. Now... Big George, Sam's father, was known to be a regular kid back when he was young. They said that uh, Big George Bennett, which he had those big nasty fingers just like his uh, son and grandson, Sam. Sam. They said he was, he was real tall. He was about 6'8". I mean, his hygiene was horrible. And they said... But at first, George wasn't like that. George went off into the war. And then when George came back from the war, he was just obsessed with blood and guts. And so he went back up into Falk, Arkansas. And it was said that he had killed his eventually, now his, his wife, which is his wife now, which her name is Sue Lou. Now, Sue Lou has autism. She's kind of artistic. She's kind of slow. And uh, but she's a very kind and gentle spirit and soul, and so that's what made um, that's what made uh George really fall for her. And she's a big old lady, big tall lady. Now, off inside the police station where they got George, this is what another part of the story has begun. Now, it was said that George could have even played Major League Baseball, but he skipped out on that to, you know, go fight in Nome for his country. But like you say, after he come back, he was obsessed with blood and guts. And um, he started killing, you know, due to the, you know, he was killing from the skills that he learned in the war. 
Now, his wife of 40 years, Sue Lou, it was said that she had to, um, she had over 20 children. And it was also said that uh, one of their sons, George's sons, had escaped him and, and, and hid out in the woods. And he, I mean, he had escaped George for a decade. And uh, he had even caught Sulu, his own mother, out in the woods. And it was said that that son had raped Sulu. Now, George had, Big George, he had later tracked that son down and killed him. And they said that he even cut his genitals off and wore them as a necklace. And wore them around, you know around the uh, other children and Sue and all his other wives and all his daughters that he was impregnating. And he would make them kiss kiss the necklace and almost worship it. Because he made them treat him like a uh, made him treat him like a, a god or something. And then Sulu even had that same baby cut out of her on the kitchen table by George. And they said George used the same uh, kitchen knife that the family had cut their meatloaf with the night before. He used that same kitchen knife to cut Sulu uh, baby out of her stomach. And then they said he sewed her belly up with some shoestrings that he found in the barn. I mean, George was a psychopath. They said he would work the boys, I mean, literally to death. He made them construct shacks and wells. They did all the farming and all the fencing. And he would manipulate them. Not only would he castrate them by cutting their genitals off by age 10. He would also manipulate them using their own love for each other against themselves. And he would make them imprison their own selves and patrol their own selves. Now, the boys were big, strong men because you got to see, like, Sue, some of them were Sue's kids and some of them was, you know, Sue's daughter's kids. And it's just a whole pile of incest. They said that the boys had big, nasty fingers and big, nasty teeth, just like George and Sam did. Now, they said it was something different about Sam. And later on, Maybe in volume two and volume three, y'all could figure it out. But it was something different about Sam to where it seemed like George had a partnership. And it's like he never castrated Sam. Like, and Sam was the only one with a name. Nobody else really, they, had, they didn't have a name. But the legend of Sam was that Sam never talked. They said no one has a record of ever hearing a word come out of Sam's mouth except his grandmother, Sulu. They said Sulu was the only one that has ever heard Sam talk. I mean, yeah, heard Sam talk. Now they said Sam had a big sledgehammer that he a sledge, sledgehammer that he would carry around. <laughs> Yeah, and they said, you know, the handle of it had tape on it. It looked like a mommy. And they say, like, Sam had these big old fingers. I mean, they literally, they were calling Bigfoot, man. They really did. Yeah, now, the way I'm able to tell this story is because the FBI did investigate Big George. And 
that's how they tracked him to the woods at one point. It was 20 agents dispatched to George. And George ended up killing all 20 agents. I mean, he was a military genius. Yes. Big, nasty George Bennett. Yeah, psychopath. But see, two of the agents were able to reach the main camp and they had went live. So some of the footage captured gave authorities a heads up on where, you know, George was at and it allowed them to, you know, be able to plot and be able to find a way to, you know, be able to maybe, you know, infiltrate George and get to him. Yeah, but they say Sulu never have mentioned what uh, Sam uttered to her. But that's really where the story begins in the police station because George claims he know what Sam uttered. He know exactly what Sam uttered. Now, the police is having to go back to this three months earlier because this is where they get their most information about Sam. And now, mind you, today, February the 20th, and they see these six bodies out here. And now they leave suspect is Sam. So we should go on another break. Y'all stick with me. Realize that we're in the police station now. Sam, we're three, year, we're three uh, months earlier from February the 20th. We're in the police station where Big Sam's father, George Bennett, is going to go in under interrogation. Okay, now we should take a break, y'all. Thank you. How y'all doing this cheese, Hano? I'm back with uh, Tales from the West 1-5 podcast. We're going to uh, continue out with our story, The Legend of Samuel, Volume 1. And uh, we're going back into the police station where George has been, pi been picked up, which is Samuel's father, Big George Bennett. But George said he knew exactly what Sam had said, which everybody that knew of the legend knew that uh, Sam had only was supposedly had only uttered words to his grandmother, Sulu, which was George's wife. And uh, George said that Sam told Sulu that uh, he could hear the spirits of all the people that he killed. And they follow him and they help him build a uh, ghost railroad that no one can see. Now, just the simple fact that uh, Sam, there's never been a picture of Sam and there's never been like authorities don't have no record of him. And it's just like no one can just ever just see Sam. It's just like he gets spotted just almost like Bigfoot or something. It's almost eerie the way, you know, Sam would, you know, move around uh, the area. But, yeah, there were uh, said to be many camps out there that Sam had. And Sam had his own, you know, yards and graveyards full of bodies, screamed George, his father. Now, authorities did do a high-profile high investigation and a search with choppers and hounds, anything you could pull out back in the 60s, and they did a very good high-profile pro, high search of some of the areas where it was said that uh, 
uh, Sam Bennett had bodies and, you know, had camps and had these spirits that would, you know, help him build these railroads. And it was kind of funny because Texarkana is a city that was built by the Pacific Railroad. That was the only reason Texarkana was formed. But after no sign of the railroad and none of these camps, you know, the authorities were weary of George because they thinking, okay, well, George just trying to throw all this off on uh, Sam because Big George was in custody for what he had done, and there was no doubt about the horrors that were found in, on George property, which some people would call the city of the dead. I mean, police found the remains of 34 different people up in Falk on Big George's property. After the autopsies were performed, it was estimated that only two of the 34 had died of natural causes. The rest had been murdered. And George was the cause of his own undoing. Because they said that uh, George had got drunk and he had let some of the you know, autistic boys, you know, from the incest, some of his sons, he had let them, uh, he had let them get into the alcohol. And while they were into the alcohol, they had wandered off. And they had, uh, you know, they got spotted. Because they didn't know how to act. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know how to speak really good English. They didn't have good hygiene. You know, they didn't have no understanding and concept on how to read, you know. And that was another question, too. Like, how did the boys make it? It was like four of them. And they were like, how would these boys make it all the way to this convenience store from the backwoods of Falk, you know, all the way to a convenience store in Texarkana? You know, I think that's almost like 30 miles, you know. But they traveled through the backwoods to get there. You know, how did they get there? It's another question. But the boys were intoxicated because they had got into that alcohol that uh, George had left while he was slumped over in his drunkenness. And now it's going to be another time that, you know, George's drunkenness going to really cause trouble. Now, the boys were spotted at a convenience store where authorities were dispatched and one of the boys led the authorities back to the camp where the, nightmare, the nightmares began. The girls that were on the camp, they were kept in better shape than the boys. But it was estimated that they all had been sexually assaulted, even the two and three-year-olds. There were 27 females discovered on the camp grounds, Sulu included, and 19 males, Big George included. The uh, ages range from nine months to 34 years of age. George and Sue were the paternal and maternal parents and grandparents of most of the whole bunch. Authorities began working tirelessly out the evening and the night trying to sort everything out. And that's how they found out about Sam. Because, and the Ghost Railroad. Because one thing about it, after they picked up everybody out the uh, 
Phil. Everybody was talking about where is Sam? You better catch Sam or the killings are going to continue. George was clearly trying to say that his son was more of a horrific killer than him. But authorities didn't have nothing on uh they didn't have nothing on Sam. They've been trying to find Sam for years. And yeah, all you do is hear about him. It's like, did he really exist? Yeah, they said he had his own village, man. And camps. Full of dead bodies. Yeah. See, uh, George and Sue were referred to him Sam. But what got one of the detectives was that one of the children off the camp, they referred a couple of the children, not one, but it was said that seven or eight of the children were referred to Sam as the Falk Monster. Now, that shook some detectives up because they knew in the late 80s and the early 90s there was, you know, a sighting of the Falk Monster. And even here in Texarkana, it was a lady by the name of Miss Ben who was walking to school and walking to work one morning. I mean, walking to work one morning and she saw, uh, she reportedly saw Bigfoot, which people say that was Sam because they say that the foul monster was really Sam. They said that Sam was just as big as a Bigfoot and he was big and nasty just as a Bigfoot. So they would call Sam the Bigfoot. And Miss Gwen, I mean Miss Ben, she was near uh, Robinson Road where the Phantom Killings and where these six bodies were found. When she said she saw the Bigfoot, which people say was Sam. So is it a co coincidence? Is Sam the phantom killer? Was he alive back then? No, they say Sam, you know. Big George was in the wall, so there's no way Sam could be the phantom killer in 46. Was he the Bigfoot Miss Ben saw? In 80s, in the 80s, I think. See, we don't know. And she lived near, she lived near the 1-5. She lived near the West 1-5 when she filed her uh, statement. And her statement is on record. So that's why the detectives off in there got a red flag when they heard uh, some of the kids uh, refer to Sam as the Falk Monster. Now this is where the story gets real interesting, y'all. Because it's like, now that the boys in there, and you know the boys are spotted at a convenience store in Texarkana, it's like, did Sam leave the boys a trail? Was Sam going from Falk to Texarkana? That's how Miss Ben saw him. I mean, the police, you know, decided to give uh, Big George some truth serum so they can really try to drill him on some questions about Sam so they can get to the bottom of this. And if they gave George the truth serum and as the effects start taking over, man, Big George leaned over that table, y'all. And his eyes and his face looked like he was a scared little girl. And he had so much fright in his face like he had saw Satan. And with a low tone of voice, he told the detectives, the boy is cursed. 
He is my sixth son, and he is Sulu's sixth grandson. He was born on 1030. I don't know what year. And the detectives asking him what year. I don't know, said George. I wasn't keeping track. But I let Sue name him. And none of them have a name. And one of the detectives asked, why did you let her name him? He said, I was drunk. And see, once again, George being drunk. And then George yells, she named him Sam. On 1030, he screamed. And then he hit his hand against the, the, the boom, against the desk. And then one of the deputies looked up and said, the legend of Sam Haig. Which the legend of Sam Haig was on 1030, which is Halloween, y'all. You could hear a pin drop in that room. And all the detectives' mouths were left wide open like dinner plates. And then a secretary came into the room and told them that Big George's dad, check this out, y'all, Big George's dad, George Sr., was a long-time railroad worker. And he was allegedly killed by a gang of black men outside of Texarkana, Texas, in a bar. And it was said that it was six black men, exactly six black men involved in the slaying. They said after the autopsy was done, he died from blunt force trauma to the head. Big George jumped up and screamed, how dare you bitch talk about my pappy? As the deputy pushed him down, ring, ring, the phone begins to ring on the desk. And then another phone begins to ring on another deputy's desk. And the captain runs into the room all at the same time as all the noises synchronize. Like it was a many fresh beat being made. The captain yells, But then the phone is picked up by one of the deputies. And the deputy picked up the phone, and it's the wife of the late Reverend Dal Dean Alford. And she said, is he there? And the officer said, who? And again, at the same time, Miss Alford on the phone and the captain who just ran into the room, said it at the same time, synchronized. Basil Theodore. And she said, Basil Theodore. The captain who was dripping with sweat, huffing and puffing, said, you won't believe what he just told me, meaning Basil. And Miss Alfred, on the other end of the phone, told the officer, quote, my husband said, quote, Reverend Alfred, a long time ago that this day shall come. For he did good on the curse, still eating Texacana, but it was out of his hands. And that Basil would have to do his part. So my husband shortly befriended Basil. 
and taught him all the signs of revelations and the signs of Sam Haig. The detective dropped the phone. All eyes went on him as he said, she just said he would come. And then the, detect the detectives, the reporters, and big guards, and everybody in the room was like, who said that he would come? And then Basil walked through the door and said, Miss Alfred. And then, wow. Everyone was amazed. Because how did Miss how did Basil know that Miss Alfred was on the phone? And how did Miss Alfred know that a Basil was exactly in the police station at that time? Now Basil was a long time Texarkana resident. As a young man, he traveled the world, and they said Basil tried his hand at everything from kickboxing in Japan to raising cobras on a cobra farm. Now, Basil was a very interesting man. But now at this time, Basil was 98 years old. And the all gray-headed and all bearded man told them to sit down and listen. As that he said, it was often said that he could even hear the cobras lie in the morning dew. And Basil said, sit down in a strong voice. I will only say this once, for it is written for me to do so, and do so I shall. The window shattered. Cars stopped on the road. All the clocks from Falk to Texarkana froze. Exactly seven seconds. The number of the seals. Bing! Just like a microwave, timer going off. Time restarted on the sixth second. And it was like one second just dropped out of the universe. Like a teardrop, I mean, falling from a skyscraper into the Pacific Ocean. Basil said in a deep, cracking voice, the Texarkana curse started way before 46. The year of the phantom. Yeah. The year of the phantom was bad, Basil said. But he said, Edward Cole, February 20th, 1892. Edward Cole, they burnt him at the stake. In downtown Texarkana, then the lights shut off in the police station. The captain jumped up and yelled. Basil told him. And then Basil jumped up. Right when the captain jumped up. And Basil said, shut up and sit down. The father is present. The father is present. Basil screamed. The curse had to sit. All must rest. All must rest. Even Sam Hain must rest. Meaning the two witches. The witches were burned at the stake. Ed Cole was burned at the stake. 
And in a crazy way, that's when Basil had explained how the crossing and the way that the humans crossed over when they burnt Ed Cole over a female in downtown Texarkana in 1820. And that let loose the curse of Sam Hay. Now that's the end, y'all, of the first volume. The second volume, I'll finish it off and I'll let y'all uh get the rest of the story but y'all give me some messages man what y'all think and let me know if y'all got any questions about the story and y'all wanna you know it's something that y'all didn't get or something that y'all didn't understand man appreciate y'all